Good morning, guys. How are you doing? Good. Yes, it is the first day of spring, and yes, I do pull out. It's tradition. I pull out Hawaiian shirts on my first Sunday in spring. So uh, welcome to East Point. Aloha. Oh, you guys are good. <laughs> hey, um, I want to mention just a couple of things while the ushers are finishing up. One is thank you again for uh, helping us invite people to come. Uh, I cannot underline enough what Teresa said. You have the opportunity to make a difference, an eternal difference in someone's life by inviting them to come here. And it's going to be awesome. It'll be fun. And it'll be a filled with hope. So I encourage you just to be bold and ask people. I gave an invite card to my barista, one of the baristas this last week at Starbucks. I said, hey, you got anything planned for Easter? She goes, nope. And I showed her the card. She goes, you know, here's what she said. I was looking for a place to go. Now, would she have gone someplace else or here? I don't know. But the fact that there's a connection and somebody actually invited her, a good chance she'll show up here. So I want to encourage you to do that. One other thing I want to mention, and uh, this is a little tough, because um, you know, I, I get very emotional uh, about some things, and when we experience great loss, uh, I, I get choked up. I've been praying a lot for James. Uh, James Gerber, our worship pastor, he lost his mom this week. So uh, I encourage you to pray for the Gerber family, pray for him. Uh, he's here this morning, but we obviously gave him the day off to say, hey, just sit, let God minister to you. But how many of you have lost a parent? You know how hard that is. So please pray. Pray for James and Ashley and the family. And James is kind of, he's the adult in the family is what we say. So he's, he's got a lot on his plate, uh, not to mention Easter's next week. So be praying for him and uh, everyone involved. I appreciate that. Oh, but Matthew 27, Matthew the 27th chapter. I'll get there in just a minute. You can use your Bible app or... Uh, Grab Bibles if you don't have one. We encourage you to bring the Word with you, but if you don't have a Bible, pick one up off the walls. And if you don't have a Bible at home, then take that home as our gift for you. We're going to wrap up our series today called Cross Encounters. Next week we talk about uh, hope, and then we move into a new series after that, four-week series, or four- or five-week series called New Beginnings. I'm really excited about that. That's going to be cool as well. But today we're going to wrap up our Cross Encounter series, and uh, I want to talk about what happens when someone has an aha moment in their life. An aha moment. And by that I mean a profound moment in their life when a light bulb goes on, so to speak, and everything changes due to this transforming encounter they have with God. Now, most of us in this room, uh, we've had that encounter. We've, we've experienced that. When I say an aha moment where you realize, man, I need God, you've had that. But I want to talk about what that looks like, why that's important, and uh, encourage you to do something uh, this week for the people in your life that you love that haven't had those moments yet. I love to hear people's stories of faith. It's one of my favorite things to do, is just to hear. I, as, when I'm getting to know somebody, one of the first questions I ask is, hey, tell me your story. Tell me how you came to know Jesus. Tell me about your background. Tell me about your faith journey. I love, 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 love hearing those stories because that's everything. That is the story of life, our journey toward God, and the transformation that happens when we invite him into our hearts. I've got a buddy. This is a long time ago, and I, uh, uh, his story, I'll give you bits and pieces of it. It's actually quite long, but it's pretty cool. Uh, he was actually at a party. Now, he was, th this is a college, he was at a party, and he was trying to get high, smoking pot. This is back when it was illegal. And it uh, still would have been illegal for him because he wasn't 21. But anyhow, he's, he's trying to get high, smoking pot, and nothing was happening. And he said, this is really weird, man. I don't feel anything. And so he thought he had this, a bad batch, and he was decided he was going to walk out to his car and get some fresh pot. So he's out walking to the car, and he sees walking down the street this really, really gorgeous woman with a small little dog. And he said the dog was ugly, the woman was not. And so uh, it caught his attention, and, and uh, she walked up, you know, she's walking her dog, and he wouldn't have given her a time of day, but she was gorgeous. And so he said, hey, how you doing, babe? And she goes, she looks, looks him right in the eye, not even hesitate, she says, Jesus has a better life for you. 
And what do you say? And it's like, I can't yell at this gorgeous chick. I'm trying to hit on her. So, you know, he didn't really know how to respond to that. But what happened was he was actually quite shocked. Here's why. Earlier, like within an hour or two earlier before that, while he was in the party trying to get high, he had this moment in the party where he thought to himself, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be something better. There's got to be something better. He said, I had that very conscious moment where I'm in this party and I'm thinking to myself, watching all my buddies get high and people go stupid. And, and he says, I, I thought there's got to be something better. And then he walks outside, runs to this woman, and she says, Jesus has a better life for you. He says, I was shocked. It was like God was speaking to me. And it really blew me away. In fact, so much so, he said, I didn't go back in the party. I went home. And as he tells the story, he sat on his bed in his living room, in his bedroom, and began to just have his first conversation with God. And it went something like this. God, uh, if you're for real, uh, I, I want to know. I, I, I need to know. Because my life's not going the direction I want it to go. And he says, from that moment, actually the moment at the party, and then that moment where he had that encounter, first prayer with God, he said, that was the beginning of the total transformation of my life. And that, that guy today is walking with Jesus. God, if you're for real, I need to know. That was his, his cry. Why did that happen? Because he had this aha moment where it seemed like the heavens just parted and God spoke to him. We're going to look at Matthew 27. We're going to pick it up in verse 45. And I'm going to unpack a little bit of the story. I'll read a little bit, tell you what's going on, and then we'll uh, make some application and give you some so what's. Matthew 27, verse 45. From noon until 3 in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. This is the crucifixion. Jesus is on a cross. From noon until 3, it says, darkness came over all the land. Now, by the way, this is not a solar eclipse. A couple things that wouldn't have lasted three hours. But it's Passover. And Passover always occurred during a full moon. And you can only have a solar eclipse during a new moon. So this is a supernatural act of God. Some would say, well, it was just a bad storm. You know, clouds came in, maybe. But it, most in that culture believed a darkening sky was a, was a bad omen. And uh, I believe it's God's way of saying, you know, pay attention. Verse 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. I got that straight, I think. But he says, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus is on the cross, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is actually quoting here Psalm 22. I just read this last week. In my normal reading, I often read a psalm under Proverbs, and Psalm 22 was my reading this week. I thought, oh, yeah, that's where that's from. And it's actually in that passage, I think about verse 18, it actually mentions uh, the casting lots for the clothes. It's a prophetic passage about Jesus. But he uses those very words, and they're, are, they're agonizing words. As Jesus experienced for the first time the separation from the Father as he bore the sins of the world. Incredibly horrible moment for him. Verse 47. When some of those standing near, standing there, heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Now, he was not calling Elijah. Uh, he, was, he was crying out, Eli, Eli, means my God, my God. But they said, give him a moment. Let's see if Elijah shows up. Verse 48. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. Filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. So he's holding up this sponge filled with wine vinegar, bitter, ugly, horrible stuff. And the rest said, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Now we know from John 19 that uh, Jesus cried out, it is finished. And then in Luke 23, he cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And I, I suspect that the loud voice he's cried out in at this moment what he's saying is, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Verse 51, very important. Verse 51, at that moment, 
at the very moment Jesus died. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, for most of us, we go, what's that? What's going on? Well, Matthew wrote his gospel for the Jews. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each written for different audiences. And Matthew's gospel was written for a Jewish audience. And every one of them very familiar with the temple. Every one of them knew what the, the, the curtain in the temple was for. And it separated the regular, normal area that the priests ministered and worked in from what was called the Holy of Holies where only one time a year did the high priest get to go in and, and, and do any business there, and it was where God dwelt, and you didn't go in there without peril to your life. And there was a curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. At the very moment, catch this, at the moment Jesus breathed his last, it says the curtain was torn in two. It's a 60 feet high, 30 feet wide curtain, thick. And there's a lot that's going on here. Most theologians, we don't know exactly because the Bible doesn't tell us exactly, but what they speculate is that there are probably three things that this signifies. One, it signifies access for everyone now through Christ into the very presence of God. It's not just the holy holies. It's not just a, a few guys or one guy once a year that gets to go there. We're all invited into the presence of the Lord. The second thing it denotes is the removal of the, of the uh, temple ritual and the law as a path to relationship with God. God was saying, nope, new way, we're going a new direction. And the third thing it probably meant was that God no longer dwelt in that temple. He did not dwell there any longer, but now the Bible says, the New Testament says, what? God dwells within us. We, you, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Whatever the point, it's a big deal. And every Jew would have thought, wow, this is awesome. This is incredibly spooky, actually, that this happened at that very moment. The earth shook, the rocks split. And the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after, and after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Let me explain what's going on here because that sounds a little bizarre, huh? Holy people, meaning saints of old, uh, probably people who uh, definitely look forward to the coming of the Messiah. And most, again, theologians believe that their tombs broke open on Easter morning, uh, probably at or about the same time Jesus was resurrected. And this was a sign, a sign to us, to all, of what would happen when Jesus returns for the final time to take us to be with him. And again, all the saints will be raised to be with the Lord. And some also uh, some suggested as well that the resurrection of these saints was a sign to the Jews. There was a Jewish history, tradition, belief that, that uh, at the coming of the new age, uh, the saints of old would be resurrected. And so again, Matthew, writing for a Jewish audience, is making a point. Hey, this happened, and this is really, really important. Verse 54, the big deal here. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. I want to focus on one character found in the passage who we actually know very little about, but he's a central part of the crucifixion. It's a centurion, this Roman centurion. Now I'll give you a little bit of history. If you don't like history, take a nap. But uh, a little bit of history here. G. Campbell Morgan says that in the New Testament, we have seven different centurions that are mentioned. One of them in, in Matthew chapter uh, 8, where Jesus heals the centurion's servant, and the other one in the Gospels mentioned here at the foot of the cross. There's another guy mentioned Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, and Cornelius was a Roman centurion that, that uh, uh, had a, a, a vision. Peter had a vision, an aha moment, if you, if you would. And uh, this guy, this Cornelius, this Roman centurion in Acts chapter 10, actually becomes the very first Gentile convert. That's kind of cool as well. Then there are four others mentioned throughout the book of Acts. All had various encounters and dealings with the Apostle Paul. In ancient Rome, centurions were a big deal. 
they, they literally, that, that word literally meant captain of a hundred. Uh, historically, they probably had, most believe they had between 60 and 160 foot soldiers, maybe 80 to 100 men, centurion meaning captain of 100. Uh, and that's an allegiance of 6,000 soldiers. So this is huge. They were veteran soldiers who worked their way up the ranks because they'd proven their loyalty and their, their strength and their valor in battle. In fact, centurions were considered the backbone of the army. How many of you have uh, been in, in the military? Don't let see your hands. Who's, what's the backbone of the army? There you go, <laughs> former staff sergeant. Yeah, Seth. Yeah, staff. They're the ones that they, they, they really lead the men. They're, they lead the battle. They're in the thick of it. They're right there with them. And that's what happened with these Roman centurions. Uh, they were hardcore, ruthless, fearless warriors who had seen it all when it comes to battle, seen it all when it comes to blood and guts. Matthew here, Matthew 27, and Mark 15, Luke 23, all mention this amazing encounter. All three of what we call the Synoptic Gospels, mention this amazing encounter of this centurion uh, at the foot of the cross. Why? Well, because it's pretty profound what happened, that this man came to his senses and had an aha moment. Part of what you need to see here is that centurions, as a rule, and this guy in particular, probably saw hundreds, if not thousands, of people die. I'm trying to get you to understand this guy. I know it's difficult, but imagine you're him. You'd seen people die over and over. You've been in battle with a sword. This wasn't shooting at people from, you know, a long ways off or dropping bombs at people. These guys fought hand-to-hand combat all the time. He'd seen hundreds, maybe thousands of people die. And he'd seen many, many crucifixions. Uh, this was not, Jesus was not the first guy crucified. In fact, over the history of Romans, for at least 70 years, they'd crucified many other people prior to Jesus' crucifixion. It was their favorite method of putting criminals and rebels and, and slaves to death. They love making a public display out of them. We have no idea exactly how many, but this centurion, whatever his name is, he'd seen it, he'd been there. This was not his first crucifixion. This was not his first dance. He'd been there. My point here is that the reason why the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, include this statement of wonder by this centurion is that for this Roman, this Gentile, and this pagan, they worship false gods, pagan worshiping man to say what he said is astonishing. For a Roman, Gentile, military guy to say what he said would have just been jaw-dropping for everybody. Look again at what it says in verse 54. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. In Mark's gospel, Mark says, and when he saw how Jesus died, he said, surely this was the Son of God. And Dr. Luke writes in Luke 23, 7, the centurion, seeing, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. Okay, let's put yourself there again at the foot of the cross. He's watching Jesus suffer and die. Horrific, horrible, horrible way to die. He'd heard Jesus' words of forgiveness. Probably close enough to have heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And guess who's part of the them? He was. He heard, perhaps, Jesus turn to the other criminal on the cross and say, today you'll be with me in paradise. He'd seen this man die. He watched what was going on. And then all these things that happened, at the moment he cried out, it is finished, or Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. At that very moment, this earthquake came. And this rough and tough man of war this guy who had seen lots of other people die on a cross had an aha moment of revelation. And he said, this man is precisely 
who he said he is, the Son of God. He had this aha moment. Now, we don't know whether he became a Christ follower at that point. I'm kind of suspicious, and, and I think that he did. I suspect that he did. If he didn't at that moment, then I'm sure when he started hearing about the resurrection, that, that probably got his attention. Uh, I, I am, I, my gut tells me that this man had such a profound moment that it changed everything. But what we do know is that what he experienced there, he never would have forgotten. Never in his life could he forget that moment, that aha moment of revelation. You know, if you look for him, aha moments are everywhere in the scriptures. From now on, hopefully as you read the word, you'll, you'll start seeing them. They're everywhere. But, you know, you've had them too. You think, well, this kind of, no, we've all had aha moments. We all have. Uh, you you uh, come to that moment as a, you know, a kid or a young adult or maybe you haven't had it yet, but it's like, oh, that's what I want to be when I grow up. What is that? That's an aha moment. Or you, you know, see someone or get to know someone and you fall madly in love with them and you just say, ah, She's the one. He's the one I want to spend the rest of my life with. That's an aha moment. Or, you know, that moment I have them more often than not when you walk into a room and you think, why did I walk in here? And then suddenly it comes to, oh, yeah, I was looking for my keys. That's an aha moment. You know, but those are not that profound. But throughout the Bible, throughout the Word of God, we see these amazing, profound, incredible aha moments. One of them is found in a story Jesus tells in Luke 15. Luke 15 is the story of the prodigal son, one of my favorite stories. And here's how the story goes. I'll paraphrase it for the sake of time. Dad, two boys, one son, younger son says, I want out of here. I want to go take off. Give me my inheritance early. Unheard of, not common, not natural. Dad is kind and merciful, says, here's son, here's your money. What does the boy do? Takes off to a foreign land where he wastes everything on wild women and wild living. Lost everything. But here's what happens. It's found in Luke 15, 17. So here, so he had this moment of reflection. So he's, he's literally feeding pigs. He's lost it all. He had this moment of self-reflection. What am I doing here? Back home, my father's hired servants have plenty of food. Why am I here starving to death? I'll get up and return to my father and say, Father, I've done wrong, wrong against God and you. I have forfeited any right to be treated like your son, but I'm wondering if you treat me as one of the hired servants. And verse 20, so he got up and returned to his father, and I love this part of the story. I, can't, I, you know, I just got to read it. My father looked off in the distance and saw the young man returning, and he felt compassion for his son, and ran out to him, and folded him in an embrace, and kissed him. But did you see the aha moment? Verse 17. So he had this moment of self-reflection. What am I doing here? Well, that's an aha moment. There's another one recorded in the book of Acts, where Saul of Tarsus later became Paul, the apostle. But Saul is persecuting Christians. Acts 9. Verse 1 and line, 9. Let me just read you again the, the story. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats, against the Lord's disciples, hated Christians. And he went to the high priest and asked for him, uh, uh, him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, Christ followers, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Verse 4, he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Talk about an aha moment. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul's aha moment came when he realized that Jesus was for real. Jesus was the Messiah. And it changed everything. I could give you a lot of other examples. For the sake of time, again, I won't. But John the Baptist, 
when he looked. He was a cousin of Jesus, but he had an ah moment where he pointed to Jesus at one point and says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was an aha moment for him as the cousin of Jesus where he realized he's the Messiah. Zacchaeus, another great story. Zacchaeus, the wee little man, you know, climbs up in a tree to see Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to your house for dinner. And something happened in the midst of that dinner where Zacchaeus had this aha moment and he got up and said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to pay back people I've ripped off. And, 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 and Jesus said, today, today salvation has come to this home. Zacchaeus had an aha moment. Peter, when he... Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus looks and said, you're right, you got it. But flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you, my father did. It was an aha moment for Peter. What all of these stories have in common, I can give you so many more examples, is that when they had that moment of revelation, it was a, a moment of awakening, an awakening in their soul. They saw and they heard something that hit them like a flash of lightning. And boom, it changed everything. The centurion, surely this was the Son of God. The prodigal son, what am I doing here? Saul, who am I? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. They had these moments, these awakening moments. And here's my big idea. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. And this is really what I hope you'll understand. Is that everyone needs an aha moment. Everyone. An awakening of their heart, mind, and soul that leads to faith in Christ. You know, we talk a lot around here about reaching the lost, loving the found. About being lights in the midst of darkness. About being a good example of what it means to follow Jesus. This is a grace place. And we, we use all sorts of phrases and terms and we describe ourselves as people reaching out to those around us who are without Christ. And we continue to do that and we must do that and that is important that we do that. But there has to be in that person that you know, and your neighbor, and your spouse, and your friend, and your coworker, and the guy you're going to school with, that you like, that you hang out with, there has to be this moment in their life, this awakening of their heart, mind, soul that leads to faith in Christ. An awakening, a moment. Perhaps preceded by many other aha moments, minor moments, but an aha moment nonetheless where they realize three things. First, they realize that they are messed up, that they, they're sinners. There has to be a point for us to begin our relationship with God. For anyone sitting here now or anyone you know to begin a relationship with God, it starts with this realization, I am a mess. I'm a sinner. And that's a huge hurdle for a lot of people. They don't like to admit that they've failed, that they've sinned, that they've blown it, that they, are, they don't have it all together. That's the first part of this aha moment. I'm a sinner. The second is I need a savior. It's one thing just to say I'm a sinner. Wouldn't that be depressing if that's where we stopped? <laughs> I'm a mess. Oh, well. I mean, what a miserable place to live. But we come to this realization, not only am I a mess, but there's an answer to my mess. There's an answer to my sin. I need a Savior. And then we come to this final, most important understanding. And Jesus is the one. He's the answer. Peter had a couple of those aha moments in his life. I mentioned the one where he said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. There's another one that took place while Jesus was being tried and on his way to the cross. It's found in Luke 22. Let me read it to you. Luke 22, 61 to 62. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Peter had denied even knowing Jesus. 
And I can only imagine the, the impact of that moment where Jesus turns and looks at Peter. And there's this eye-to-eye -eye contact, and Peter remembers what the Lord said. That was an aha moment for him. And I've been that guy so many times in my life where I failed to deny Jesus, and then it hits home. There's this moment where I realize, man, I am a sinner. I am messed up. I need a Savior. And I know that Jesus is the answer. Again, I'm defining that aha moment as a fixed point in a person's life where they see Jesus, where they get it, where something happens here and here, where they just, it, there's a connection that, that we can only encourage and point them to the right way, but it's God, the Holy Spirit, that has to work in their hearts. And they have this revelation, this moment of understanding, that it, that this insight that rocks their world. It's like my friend at the party, and the girl says, Jesus is a better life for you. That was the moment where he realized, maybe there is a God. Maybe he is for real. Maybe I do need him. Now, there may be lots of micro moments that lead to that moment of revelation. But most of us, most of you, can point to a day and experience, a time, a place where it happened, where you got it, where you yielded to Christ, where you finally understood what Jesus did for you, and you responded to that with your life. My moment happened in a Bob's Big Boy in Tahunga, California. And I uh, was 23 years old. And I've written about it, I've talked about it before. The truth is, I, I am at a loss to describe for you how messed up I really was. I was partying hard, I was wild, I was literally angry, bitter, vile towards God, Christians, my wife. I was as messed up of any, as anybody you've ever known. You think, oh, I know some pretty messed up people. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd go nose to nose with him in a heartbeat. The guy I was was horrible and far, far, far from God. And I'll forever, I don't even think they're open anymore. You know, if you ever find a Bob, you know, the Bob, get me one of those. But yeah, I'll take it. Because I'll forever remember that moment where everything in that moment, that instant, I, aha moments, I'm sitting at the table across from a friend or to earn the right to be heard who loved me in the midst of all my stupidity and my, my failures. And he spoke to me, and in a moment of clarity that shocked me, God invaded my life. It shocked me. And he talked to me about a fork on the road. He said, Bubna, you had a fork on the road. You can go your way, and it'll end poorly. It'll probably end in death. Or you can go God's way and discover everything he wants for you. And somehow when he said that, I knew he was right. I cannot describe to you how I knew in my knower what that was, how true that was, but I knew that by 30 I'd be dead. I just knew it. I wouldn't get past 30, not on the trajectory my life was on. And it shocked me. And I walked home. I had walked down to Bob's Big Boy because I was pretty drunk. And I was walking home, and by that point I'm pretty sober. And I remember sitting on a rock. I, the rock is still there. The hill is still there right outside my home. Southern California, and it's one of those October warm nights where the Santa Ana's were blowing, and I sat on that hill, and I said, God, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what to do. I don't even know. But if you want me back, I'm yours. If it wasn't for that moment, I wouldn't be here.
So why have I taken the time to unpack the value of aha moments? Well, because some of you need to have that. I need to know, I, I, I prayed over every one of these chairs last night. You're sitting in a, prayer, a chair that I prayed for you. I may not know your name, but I prayed for you. And if you don't already know Jesus as your Savior, you need to know this guy is praying for you to have those aha moments. An aha moment that changes everything. That saves you because you realize you need a Savior. You're a sinner who needs a Savior and that Jesus is the answer. But most of us have already had that moment. And what I want to encourage you to do, and I'm very, very serious about this. This is something that means a great deal to me. I want to encourage you this week to pray like you've never prayed before. To pray for your friends. To pray for your family. I know, I talked to a woman I dearly love and, and appreciate in our church this morning. And her husband's far from God. And I can see the pain in her eyes and it breaks her heart. And I remember seeing the pain in my wife's eyes. And I know. I know. But I also know this. I'm going to keep praying for that guy. And she's going to keep praying for that guy. And I'm believing that some moment he will have that aha revelation. Where the heavens part and God just gets him and says, dude, what are you going to do? I want to encourage you to pray for your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors. And I'm going to ask you to pray that they'll have that aha moment on Easter. Eternity is at stake. Eternity is at stake. Some of us, and I'm very aware of this, very aware of the reality of my own mortality. Getting cancer five years ago was a wake-up call for me in some ways. Like, wow, you know what? I'm not going to live forever. Go figure. And some of you have experienced what James experienced this last week. And the reality of mortality, of the, the, the fact, it is a fact, that there are people you know you know, maybe not that close, maybe not a friend. I'm not prophesying over anybody. I'm saying there's people you know that this might be their last Easter on planet Earth, guys. And if that sounds like, you know, terror tactics, or if I'm trying to scare you into something, good, you got it. I am. You are related, connected at some level to people in your life, and this might be their last Easter. And do they know him? Do they know Jesus? Do they love him? Have they had that aha moment where everything is transformed because of an encounter with him? I'm going to ask you to pray this week for those people. And I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Put feet to your prayers. Be a partial answer to your prayer by asking them to come. Oh, you'll never do it. Ask. Oh, that just, that's embarrassing. Ask. Oh, what if they get mad at me and don't want to be my friend anymore? Ask. Give them a card. Say, hey, I just want to invite you to come with me to Easter. I'll sit with you, and I promise you, it won't be scary. Nobody's going to do anything. It won't make you do anything. We just, I just want you to come. And pray with every ounce of your being, every ounce, that they have an aha moment, a moment where they see. Close your eyes. Let me pray for you. In fact, with your eyes closed right now, and I'm just going to ask you to do this. I want to walk you through a little, a little exercise. And I'm very intentional about this, and I know it might be painful for some of you, but I, it's worth the risk. I want you to envision. I want you to see in your mind's eye 
picture of that person that you thought of just a moment ago. Or people. Might be a spouse, might be a friend, might be a, a child, cousin. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor. Would you just dial up in your mind right now, your memory, your thinking, an image, a picture of that person right now? And I want to ask you a very important question. Why did God put you in their life? Oh, to be a friend. Love, yeah, yes, he did. But I believe that he put you there to be him, like him. He put you there to be light. And he put you there to speak into their life words of hope, forgiveness grace and mercy. And the question I have for you is, what are you going to do? Will you pray this week with me? I've got a dozen people I'm praying for this week. This week. I've been praying for them for a long time, but I pray that this week, this week, something begins to open cracks in their hearts so that they're willing to come to Easter here or Easter somewhere. And then in that Experience, they will have a life transforming encounter. Will you pray? Will you ask? Will you take the risk? Father, we have in this room, there are literally thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands of people related to the people sitting in this room right now. We have relationships who've, with relationships and people who we work with and, and people that we haven't really ever thought about inviting to East Point, Lord, and they're all around us. They're all around us. And Jesus, please, I, I ask you, would you give this church, the people sitting here right now, would you give them a, a micro aha moment where they realize, oh man, God, God wants to use me. God put me there. God put me in their life for a reason. And would you shake them to the core with that revelation? so that they'll begin to interact and, and relate a little differently with those people around them. And Lord, some of us have been praying for a long time. We have been asking you for so long to save our spouse, to save our kids, to save our dad, to save our friends. Lord, we've been asking so long that we've grown weary. And some of us have just kind of given up. Lord, rekindle that passion, that light, that fire in their soul. Encourage them to stay the course and to keep praying. And to keep praying and to keep praying and to keep praying and to keep praying. Because life is eternity. Eternal life is in the balance here, Lord. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've had that, mo that moment. Maybe it's this week. Maybe it's right now. Where you get it, you, you see your, your sin for what it is. You realize, man, I have, I have messed up. You see Jesus for who he is. And, and, and you realize you need a Savior. And you see Jesus as that, that answer for you. The Bible says that our relationship with God begins when we confess our sin. We confess, God, I have failed. I need you. And when we turn to him, we... We follow him, Jesus, now. 
as the Savior, our Savior. And if you're ready today and you're in this point right now, there's no reason to wait, please don't. We don't own our next breath, guys, and I, don't, I want you to know that this moment is important. Would you say yes to him right now? Would you say, yes, God, I confess my sin. Yes, God, I need a Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Just say, Father, I've, I've sinned. Father, I need what you did for me on that cross, Jesus. I need it. Father, you sent Jesus for me, and I get it. So right here, right now, I embrace the cross, what Jesus did for me. And right here, right now, I'm choosing to follow you. I surrender my life. I say yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Lord, thank you for those that are doing that right now. Every week, somebody in this place says yes. Thank you for the life that we're getting right now. Lead them as your child now from here to eternity. I pray it in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. I want to finish with one last song. It's got some aha moments in it. Let's worship together. I'll come back and wrap it up. The first church turned their world upside down. It was a corrupt world, messed up world, perverse world. I mean, you study anything about the time Jesus came at just the right time. When the Romans had just completely controlled most everything and it was an ugly, ugly place. But the church turned the world upside down. You know how they did it? They were bold. They were bold to tell their stories about their aha moments and to invite others to have theirs. Today, if you begin your life as Christ follower, it's the beginning. We want to walk with you in this journey. There's a Bible, some mature you starting to walk with Jesus. The next steps class, first step, excuse me, starts uh, April uh, 3rd. Sign up for that. Go to that. We want to walk with you. This is the beginning. You need help. You need us to stand with you in this. And I am so ex excited about what God's done in your heart today. If you need prayer, prayer team will be down front. There's communion on both sides of the room. If you want to stop and just remember today what Jesus did for you on the cross, do so. And guys, we've got boxes of these left. I don't want to have boxes left on Easter. Take them. Give them away. Invite. Be bold. Ask people to come. And I promise you, the very worst they'll say is no. But they might say, hey, I was looking for a place to go. Thanks. What time are the services? And then pray like a crazy person all week long. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Let them have that moment, that aha moment. I love you guys. I believe in you. Let's turn our city upside down for Jesus. God bless you. Thanks for being here today.